Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of my weekly show. I'm Father Roderick, still recovering from a pretty nasty illness. A little kidney stone caused so much trouble, I have a hard time believing it. But at least I'm good enough, I'm well enough to be behind a microphone. This episode is brought to you thanks to my patrons over at patreon.com slash Father Roderick. And I really thank them for their support. If you want to join them, just check them out. And in return, as a thank you, I will give you access to a special extra podcast every week, which is called The After Show. It's a bit more personal. And there may be some other stuff coming in the near future. So go check it out at patreon.com slash Father Roderick. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. Yeah, as I mentioned in my introduction, I've had a rough week. Uh, about exactly one week ago, I, um, I, I was super sick. I had a very high fever. I had blood in my urine. It's not a very pretty story. Um, excruciating pain in the lower part of my body. Had to be uh, rushed to the hospital, to the emergency uh, department, and uh, they made a CT scan. Turns out a little kidney stone had caused a major infection, a very complex infection, as they call it, or complicated infection, uh, which also spread. It started to affect other parts of my body. I won't go into detail. <laughs> and uh, uh, very, very painful. I was put on uh, pretty heavy uh, antibiotics. And uh, now, an, about a week later, I'm still recovering. I still need to take a lot of rest. But I'm well enough to at least kind of slowly pick up my usual duties again um, and especially when it comes to my TV work I have no choice there are deadlines uh, and they need to be respected um, so I figured since I was here anyway to do some some work might as well uh, flip on the roadcaster and um, and 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 just do a, a show just for your entertainment so hopefully um, you'll appreciate that and if not well that's not my problem <laughs> First of all, I want to go to the world of movies and TV series, and there is some really, really cool news and also a bit of sad news when it relates to Star Trek. You probably already heard it, but for me, it became an occasion to go check out uh, some Star Trek that I've never seen before. So, um, I just want to share my thoughts about that, and of course we need to talk about Spider-Man back in the MCU. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl, and that kid sees dead people, and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. All right. Do I start with the good news or the bad news? Let's start with the good news, and that is Spider-Man is back in the MCU. I think I never really lost uh, confidence that that would happen. Uh, of course, there was a major fallout a while ago uh, that made every Spider-Man fan panic. Sony and Marvel couldn't come to an agreement. Of course, um, Sony owns the rights to Spider-Man. And Marvel had struck a deal, a temporary deal, to uh, be able 
to uh, to uh, integrate Spider-Man in a f- couple of their uh, MCU movies. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, both parties kind of didn't get together or didn't come to an agreement as to future movies. And so at one point, and it's kind of hard to always to, to see who was to blame, it's always about money and about nothing else. Uh, at one point, Sony said, hey, we're, we're just going to make our own Spider-Man movies again. And, uh, and, and most of the Marvel fans were like, um... Wait, you you've tried that before and the result was not very good. So can we please 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 pretty please have Peter Parker back in the MCU? Well, fortunately, of course, the pressure of the fans and also the financial gain in the future for uh, of other Spider-Man uh, related movies uh, was enough to convince the parties to go back to the to the negotiation uh, table and they struck a deal which means that Spider-Man Peter Parker is going to be back at least for one more movie in the MCU and personally I'm very happy with that because as you know the last Spider-Man movie ended with a bit of a cliffhanger Spider-Man had his reputation destroyed thanks to the fake news of um, uh, his nemesis and uh, that set up, I think, a very interesting point of departure for his storyline, as well as his new position in in the uh, the in the Marvel group in the the Avengers. Uh, he was kind of positioned as maybe even a successor to Tony Stark, even wearing his glasses and everything. So definitely, there was a, a handing over of the of the legacy. Uh, of the Avengers to an, the new generation. And it would have been such a shame if in the next movie nobody would speak about Spider-Man anymore because, well, rights. <laughs> How stupid would that be? So hopefully they'll, they'll find a way to, uh, um, to, to give it a good closure because, of course, even after this one movie, they will still have to go on without Spider-Man unless Marvel or Disney decides to write out buy Sony altogether but I don't think that's going to happen but um but at least we get closure which I always find extremely important when it comes to these uh movie series TV series as well um with all the competition now going on uh, between the streaming platforms chances are pretty high that we'll see lots and lots of pilot series that will get cancelled because of the lack of interest, because there's so much competition. And then you just, as a viewer, as a fan of these series, you're stuck with a, with a story that never gets resolved. I hate that. I really can't stand that. Fortunately, for older series, um, we, do, we do have closure. And one of the Great examples of serialized storytelling was Deep Space Nine. Um, it would before Discovery. That was the last that we got of Star Trek, and uh, it, they started that series while they were still filming The Next Generation. So for a couple of seasons, both shows were on the air, and then Deep Space Nine went on when uh, even when uh, uh, The Next Generation was. Uh, uh, was wrapped up and uh, it's a really really good series totally different from any other Star Trek series that we've seen because this takes place on a space station and they're basically stuck there so there's much more time to focus on character development 
uh, and on the overall mythology instead of having to go from planet to planet and meet new aliens and do just the regular, you know, Star Trek duties. Um, I've come to really, really love uh, Deep Space Nine. I had made it until the beginning of the fourth season and then there was other stuff that I wanted to watch. But... Of course, last week we had the sad, we heard the sad news that Aaron Eisenberg died uh, uh, at the age of fifty, only fifty years old. He was still very young when he uh, uh, acted on um, uh, on uh, the on Deep Space Nine. Uh, he was portrayed as a uh, child, as a friend of the son of the commander of the of the station, um, and and very and it's a Ferengi. A kid, but a Ferengi with very different ambitions from his family members. He wanted to be a part of Star- of Starfleet, uh, which, of course, uh, his uh, his nearest family did not understand at all. And then ultimately, he ends up in Starfleet, which is in Ferengi history something epic. Uh, the uh, actor himself was suffering from kidney problems, which I can totally relate to. Um, I think he was on the list for a transplant and somehow just didn't make it anymore. Uh, it wasn't enough. We don't know the official reason of his death, but I'm pretty sure it's related to that, um, to the kidney problems that he had. Um, there's been really an outpour of sympathy from the Star Trek community. That's always what I like. It's, it's, it's by the quality of the reactions that you see how how um, how much loved someone was uh, and how much of an example. I saw a beautiful tribute by Will Wheaton um, on, on his blog. I'll link to it in the show notes. And Will Wheaton, strangely enough, had never seen Deep Space Nine. Uh, probably because it was a rival show <laughs> in a certain way. It was both Star Trek, but he, he was the kid on the bridge of uh, of the, the Enterprise in The Next Generation. So he never really checked it out. But now, uh, but in real life, he was a friend uh, of um, of Aaron Eisenberg. And so in honor of, uh, of his friend, he's now watching for the first time ever Deep Space Nine. And it's really cool to see his reactions. And it, it, it was enough to push me again towards this series. And I'm going to finish it now. Since the doctor ordered that I still take a lot of rest, um, I will just use my time wisely to go and try to finish uh, the seasons of Deep Space Nine. It helps that one of my favorite science fiction writers of all time uh, was involved in the production and also the writing of the of the script of Deep Space Nine, Ronald D. Uh, D. Moore. And Ron Moore, of course, was the one who rebooted uh, the uh, Battlestar Galactica series. Uh, that's already... How is that? Fifteen years ago, or something like that? It's a crazy long time ago, but it sounds it feels like yesterday. Um, and Ronald D. Moore is uh, was in the news just recently, also because of Battlestar Galactica. You may have heard that uh, there's going to be a reboot of Battlestar Galactica, or so we thought. And fans, understandably, were pretty upset that. CBS, for their new streaming platform, uh, wanted to do a total reboot of Battlestar Galactica and ignore everything that Ronald D. Moore had, had established in his version of the story, and they would go back to 
kind of more the original uh, version of Battlestar Galactica and try to redo that. Well, reason prevailed. <laughs> Good news, it is not going to be a reboot. Um, the creator of Mr. Robot, uh, Sam Asmail, is uh, uh, ha has gone on the record on Twitter saying uh, this. I will just quote him. Battlestar Galactica fans, this will not be a remake of the amazing series that Ronald D. Moore launched because why mess with perfection? Instead, we'll explore a new story within the mythology while staying true to the spirit of Battlestar. So say we all. So it's not a reboot, thankfully. And uh, this to me sounds like the words of someone who, will, who respects what, what has been done by both series. And I can't wait to see what they will do. And of course, this also opens up the possibility for maybe recurring characters or recurring actors. Uh, or maybe they will do something totally different. Um, I think that the the world of Battlestar Galactica is, is big enough for uh, for something unexpected and something new. But uh, I'm intrigued. The new CBS platform will go on the air, I think, next year, somewhere in March. I'm not sure if the Battlestar Galactica series will be part of that launch right away. Um, and, of course, CBS, not very likely that uh, that will be a worldwide platform um it may very well be that they will license the show to other uh streaming platforms like amazon prime or netflix uh over here in europe we'll wait and see <laughs> catholics rock Here on The Peculiar Bunch, we're always happy to tell you everything you always wanted to know about Catholics, but you were afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? The month of October is, in Catholic tradition, the month of the Rosary, um, dedicated to the Virgin Mary. So let's talk a little bit about the Virgin Mary. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. Helen in the chat asked a question about the age of the Virgin Mary. How old was she when she got pregnant with Jesus? Um, and there are actually no official historical uh, resources about that. The, the Gospels don't go into detail. Um, and that has to do with the kind of storytelling that we find in the Gospels. This is a, this is a, uh, um, a story... Um, that does not really care that much about all the historical details, the dates. There are a few uh, facts in the uh, nativity stories that we've been able to verify. For instance, the 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 year of the of this the count. Uh, how do you call it? The counting of the people. Um, th there are some places that, of course, are very traceable. But we don't know much about the age of the Virgin Mary. It's likely, that's kind of always has been kind of the oral tradition, that she was still very young. Uh, she was uh, engaged to Joseph. And you can look at other 
data that we have about the age at which normally people would get engaged. And uh, so that may have been pretty young for our standards, uh, so 16, maybe even a little bit younger. According to Helen on Wikipedia, it says that some ap apocryphal accounts, so that those that means uh, certainly old stories, but not part of the officially sanctioned Bible stories, maybe because they were written at a much, much later date, or because the contents was not in line with, um, with the let's say, the continuity that you find, that you find in the New Testament. Uh, but according to some of those apocryphal accounts, uh, she was about 12 to 14 years old when she was betrothed to Joseph. Um, yeah. You know, for the story and for the Catholic theology of the Virgin Mary, it's not that important. She was young, and, but what matters most is how she was open to God's invitation, she's a model for uh, for Christians of uh, of obedience. You could say, and obedience doesn't mean like obedience that we 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 associate that with uh, you know kids that have to be obedient to their parents or you have to be obedient in school or in the army, but it it has to do with being able to open your heart and your ears for what God wants to uh, wants you to do and to do it. To say yes to to God's plans, uh, which is in a way the vocation of every single person on 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 Earth. God has uh, his his plans. He calls us, and he hopes that we will answer and that we will have an affirmative answer, just like Mary had. And so the Ma the the yes of the Virgin Mary has always been contrasted by church fathers and even in the Bible itself to the no of Eve, the first woman uh, who actually turned away from God by accepting the temptation that the, that the snake uh, offered her. And so uh, there's a lot of this contrasting stuff. Uh, in that respect, kind of stories like Star Wars are very similar to biblical uh, narratives and biblical storytelling. They, they love to repeat themes, contrast them, you know, where Anakin said no, Luke Skywalker says yes to the light side of the force, etc. You see that same thematic uh, rhyme in, in, in the Bible itself. And so that, and it helps also to understand the role of Mary uh, by looking at her not just as just a girl uh, in those days, but as almost the the opposite of Eve. There is something meta about her role in uh, in in history and and definitely in in the history of of salvation. So the month of October, just like the month of May, for Catholics are very much associated with the Virgin Mary. Um, the month of May is is properly ca called the month of Mary. The month of October is dedicated to the Rosary, which is maybe one of the w most well-known prayers in the Catholic tradition. Uh, of course, the Rosary doesn't find its origins in the Bible. Uh, there is no biblical account of uh, an angel saying, "Well, this is what you should do. You just take uh, some uh, some beads and you start praying this and that." And no, the Virgin Mary herself did not pray. <laughs> The Rosary. The Rosary is from a much older, uh, a much more recent tradition in the church, and it is a form of prayer that is very repetitive, um, but on purpose. So you pray uh, uh, the Rosary 
you pray the Our Father, but most of all, you focus on on the prayer of intercession that you ask of the Virgin Mary. So this is not praying to Mary. Um, there is it's very important to understand for people that are not familiar with the Catholic tradition, praying to Mary or uh, asking Mary to pray for us, because that is basically what we do, um, is not the same as praying to God. In, in the Catholic theology, it's always God who gives grace. He's the source of, uh, of everything good. And uh, just like Jesus, during his life here on earth, uh, enlisted the help of the apostles, of uh, his disciples, of the people around him, to go help the sick, to pray for uh, the people in, 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 in marginalized situations. Um, in the same vein, uh, we have the saints that uh, are friends who have lived lives similar to ours and that can pray for us, can help us through their prayer, uh, through their prayer, through their what we call intercession, basically means you intercede for someone, you're like in between God and me, um, and you pass on the requests. And, and that aspect of passing on is very important when it comes to the Virgin Mary. She is close to her son, closer than any human being can ever be, because she's the mother of, of the Son of God. And so it makes sense to go to her if you have a request for prayer because she knows her son more than anyone else. So she can guide us and help us to do what Jesus wants us to do. And you see uh, that intercession happening in uh, one of the most beautiful stories of the New Testament, which is the wedding at Cana, where Mary is there with Jesus. It's the first time that Jesus does a miracle and uh, uh, there is no more wine. And then Mary comes to Jesus and tells Jesus they haven't got any wine anymore. And that is when Jesus, Jesus performs the miracle, not Mary. That is, uh, I think, a beautiful story that illustrates how Catholics relate to the Virgin Mary. It's not a, a, another god or a goddess. Uh, and sometimes she's labeled like that by kind of new agey people or by non-Catholics that don't really like that that tradition. But um, but that wouldn't be. I mean, Mary would be the first one to be very very uncomfortable with that approach. She is a servant of the Lord. She is there to help, just like we are called to help. And that's why Mary is always presented to us as a model. And if we pray the Rosary then it, it helps us to, to reflect upon life and on what happens in the, in the stories of Jesus and Mary and try to apply that to our own lives. What are we to do and can we model our lives on the yes of the Virgin Mary? And that requires repetition, that requires training. And so that is why that rosary prayer is so repetitive. It, it's not about the words. It's about these this these prayers changing gradually, like a, like water dripping on a stone. It, it 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 carves out our heart. It makes it bigger. It makes it more uh, more spacious and more like the heart of Mary herself and of her son Jesus. So that's in a nutshell the Marian tradition in the Catholic Church. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night.
packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? I'm reading a new book, or actually listening to a new book, uh, that I'm really enjoying quite a bit. It is an autobiography of a, a filmmaker. He himself doesn't call himself a filmmaker, by the way, but you know him from his documentaries on TV. Uh, he would say, well, I'm, I'm more uh, of a journalist uh, because I'm not making these TV series, these, these documentaries myself. Um, I'm talking about Paul Theroux. Paul Theroux is a British documentary filmmaker, um, and he's about my age. He's actually two years younger than I am, or three years younger. No, two years younger than I am. Um, and uh, in his auto autobiography, he uh, describes his childhood, which is really nothing special, and how he somehow almost by accident kind of fell into this world of television making. And he was a bit of a quirky, nerdy guy, uh, even as a young boy. And he took that quirkiness and that, that curiosity and also great sense of humor to his interviewing style. So what he's very, known, very well known for is that he made documentaries about people on the fringes of nor normalcy. Uh, people with very strange hobbies or passions. Uh, people that would take extraordinarily or extraordinary risks in their lives. Um, and his approach as a documentary maker, maker was always to dive into the world of his interviewee. He, be, he uh, is always part of the story. He's not observing... Uh, what's happening and then documenting that and then having someone do a, 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 a voiceover, a narrator. No, he is in the story. He wants to experience what the, uh, uh, what the main character that he's interviewing uh, does for a living. And he is not afraid to push himself to, you know, way outside of his comfort zone. And that always, well, very often, results in, in hilarious moments. Um, so he's been... Uh, the, the, the book itself is called Gotta Get Through This. Through this. Uh, like through, like his last name. Um, yeah, sounds like a dad joke. And <laughs> a lot of the jokes are... Even, even about his own jokes, he's very self-deprecating, which makes it really a pleasure to read. And, of course, I'm... E even more interested in this book because I'm a, I'm I'm a big fan of of his uh, documentaries. They're always making me a little bit uncomfortable. That's quality. That's that's great if a filmmaker can make you un feel uncomfortable, and you get to meet people that you would never ever ever meet in real life. Um, and then there's sometimes also some lessons learned. Um, he doesn't shy away from the the hard questions and and also dares to ask his subjects. You know about the why and how far and is, is, isn't this going too far so it's always uh, stuff that makes you think more recently he's he's been more serious in his approach I think he made a pretty big documentary about Scientology which of course it got him into a lot of legal trouble as usual with Scientology they always uh, take revenge on on the messenger <laughs> um, but he's not afraid and, uh, and and nor should he be because he's got such a large worldwide audience. Um, but it's it's really fun to hear how he prepares his interviews and what are his criteria to select stories to tell. 
And one thing that made me think was uh, he, do- he never wants to play it safe. Um, he never wants to fall into a routine, which is very tempting if you are uh, working in the, in the field of TV like I am, and we have to crank out 15 episodes per, per season. Then it's like, oh, well, let's just do that because it's easy. And he was like, well, if it's easy, it's probably not going to be any good. I need to really push myself outside of my comfort zone. I need to find people that really have a story to tell, that do something unexpected. Uh, um, They have to be, um, in a certain way, appealing, even though they may be very, very different from the world of the viewer. but, But they're... Life, their choices have to be appealing, have to be uh, intriguing enough to keep people interested. And of course, his his motto is always, "I want to be part of that world." So it's documentary making by immersion. And that's also something that I'm I'm trying to do in my own stories more and more. Actually, um, is to be part of the story, to make it personal, because and that is in a way very similar to, for instance, preaching in church. If what I preach about does not first touch me or confuse me or make, make, makes me feel stuff, then nothing is going to happen with the viewer. Whereas if I'm the first one who is, who is impacted by what I, what I talk about, by the stories that I tell, then there is a chance that that will also be the case with the people that are watching it. So this, this passion that you see with him combined with a great sense of humor, makes for very, very compelling documentaries and, of course, also for very compelling reading. You can find a link to the book in the show notes over at tridio.com. That's T-R-I-D-E-O.com. That'll probably be an affiliate link. So buy your purchases on Amazon. We get a little bit of the of the credit. And that helps you buy new books to check them out. So thank you in advance for clicking on our Amazon links that you can find somewhere at the bottom of the Tridio.com page. All right. I see aliens. Little aliens from outer space. And how are things in outer Plutonia? How many times have I told you not to wear your space boots in the house? Go to shape. I mean, you can donate my body to science fiction. Get your suit on! We need you! It's time to talk about science fiction, the future where there will be no more bandwidth problems, where there's Wi-Fi on every planet that you visit. Unfortunately, we don't live in that world yet. I know that there are some some problems with the live stream that I always have on when I record it. That's because I'm uh, streaming straight from my phone. Uh, And it's an old phone, and it's on a Wi-Fi connection somewhere uh, on the fringes of the Wi-Fi signal, probably. So it may be um, not as good as as you're used to, but uh, hey... Um, as lo- as soon as Apple has resolved the problems with the beta of their uh, operating system, so it's stupid enough to install macOS Catalina, and the beta completely broke all my streaming software, not just Ecamm that I use, but also OBS and uh, and streaming straight from the browser. None of that works anymore. So the only way I can see you or that you can see me is is through the through the phone which is kind of the worst way to stream. All right, let's talk about science fiction. We've already uh, mentioned Battlestar Galactica, but there was also another 
very, very cool tidbit of news. Kevin Feige, you know that name because he's been the running man for almost all the successful MCU stories. He's been heavily involved in in producing uh, all the Avengers stories and some of uh, some of the other blockbusters. And in fact, he's he was so busy with that that rumor had it that that was one of the reasons that Disney let go of the of the Spider-Man franchise. That they wanted to protect Feige uh, a little bit because he was uh, doing so much, and they. We're afraid that another Spider-Man movie would, would just break his back. Um, of course, we have no confirmation of that uh, rumor. And it may be completely bogus because Disney announced that Kevin Feige, the most important guy right now running the MCU and also responsible for most of its success, is going to make a Star Wars movie. Or maybe not one but multiple Star Wars movies. This, of course, is in addition to all the other Star Wars movies that are already in production. We know that there is a trilogy in the making by the writers of Game of Thrones. We know that um, there is another trilogy also in the making by uh, the director Ryan Johnson of The Last Jedi. And at one point, Disney said, we're not going to... Uh, bombard the audience with uh, all these Star Wars movies like we did in the beginning because you get Star Wars fatigue. But now we not only have two trilogies in the making, we have three television series, actually four if you count Clone Wars with that. But There's The Mandalorian, there's going to be a series about Obi-Wan Kenobi, and there's going to be a Rogue One prequel series on all on Disney+. And then, of course, you've got Clone Wars. And I bet you that they have other ideas for television series and maybe even television movies. I'm still uh, hoping that we will see, for instance, a sequel to the Solo movie, but not in movie, uh, not in movie theater, but on Disney+. Why not? They have all these actors under contract for at least two more movies. So I'd say, do it. Do it. <laughs> Let the cash flow through your veins. Um, so apparently this Star Wars fatigue is uh, not something that is very much on the minds of the, of the, of the people responsible in Disney uh, right now. And Kevin Feige, we know, is a huge Star Wars fan. And he has said, of course he hasn't said anything about what kind of Star Wars movie it's going to be, but he said that he already has a, an actor, a major actor, that he wants to center uh, the story around. And that, of course, has the internet buzzing. Who is that actor? Is it, is it Samuel L. Jackson? Is, it, is Mace Windu coming back to the world of Star Wars? How cool would that be? I'm pretty sure that they can figure out a way to, to explain a way that he actually wasn't killed by Palpatine. Um... Uh, although Samuel Jackson is very, very busy with the the same Marvel universe, and he's still in charge of the Avengers, so I'm not sure if uh, if we'll see him. And then I'm thinking, well, maybe it's uh, you know, what would be the biggest crowd pleaser? What would make every not just every Star Wars fan, but every movie fan happy in the world? Keanu Reeves <laughs> seems to be back with John Wick with the the, the next uh, Matrix movie that's coming out. Um, everybody loves 
uh, his uh, not just his acting, but also his whole demeanor. Um, he, just unbeatable. So Keanu Reeves in in Star Wars. That's just me. Uh, and and then I'm thinking, well, what could be his? He doesn't feel very Star Warsy. But I'm thinking, well, what if he was like a samurai? He did the Last Samurai. Um, so what if he he was like this ancient Jedi teacher, and they would go very Oriental somehow, or go you more Jedi plus Kung Fu? How cool would that be? I I definitely watch it, but maybe it's someone completely out of out of uh, um, my imagination. Um, it's just so intriguing, and I'm pretty sure that he he, he mentioned that that he already has an actor because he's he's about to reveal who that's going to be. This is just marketing. They never say anything without a reason, especially when it comes to Star Wars. So, uh, great times ahead, at least I hope. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device and it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. We need to talk about my favorite new technology, and as you know, that is virtual reality. I am the very happy owner of a uh, Oculus Go, which is the kind of the Benjamin of the Oculus family. Well, last week, there was the annual Oculus Connect convention in the United States. A couple of days, I think two days, where programmers, uh, developers, and the people uh, behind the Oculus come together for a conference where they kind of plot out the plans for the near future. There was no hardware this time, no new uh, VR headset, uh, just the Go, which was barely mentioned, the Quest and the Rift. The Rift S is their only virtual reality headset that is still tethered to a computer. And it looks like uh, Facebook, who owns Oculus, is uh, focusing everything on the Oculus Quest, which, according to Facebook itself, has been a major success. They, they sell them as soon as they can make them. And what they did during this conference was solidifying that central position in the marketplace. But they they came with some really, really impressive announcements. Of course, there's already a lot of great software out there for the Oculus Quest. By the way, I still don't have an Oculus Quest. The reason being that I was very happy with my Oculus Go. And I've even got a, a way to play some of the steam vr games like uh the elder scrolls uh, skyrim on via uh wi-fi on the oculus go um which is incredible considering that the oculus go was just 199 bucks i think that's what i paid for it so it's super low budget even cheaper than the playstation vr and it's wireless so what else do you want? The Quest is also wireless, but it comes with two controllers. Um, the Quest is also a little bit more powerful, although that's always relative because these devices use mobile phone chips, um, usually two generations old. So they're definitely not on par with, for instance, what Apple does with the iPhone or the iPad. But 
we know that that technology is 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 advancing with huge leaps. So it's pretty obvious that in a couple of years from now, these goggles will probably be able to work standalone and and deliver the same kind of graphics that you now need a very heavy-duty PC for. Well, what did they announce uh, during Oculus Connect is the Quest is going to get two incredible technologies that are going to be added to the existing setup. You don't have to buy anything new. One is oculus link which is the ability for the oculus quest to be linked to a a gaming pc which with of course a much more powerful processor and graphics unit and to be recognized by that pc as an oculus rift it is going to use usb-c which has pretty high level uh data transfer to make sure that your computer does all the all the work and then sends the final computational images to uh, to the headset. That, of course, makes the Oculus Quest all of a sudden a much, much better deal because it's $499, and you will basically not only have a standalone Rift that you can use without wires, but if you just have one single USB-C, and then I think there's going to be a special optical cable later on from, from Oculus, uh, with one single simple cable you can have the abilities of the Oculus Rift as well, which, of course, opens up the device to an an incredible amount of games. Uh, Not just the games that you can buy in the Oculus Store, but um, I think just recently it was confirmed that it will also work with Steam VR, and Steam is still the platform with the most and most affordable virtual reality games. So this, I think, makes it possible to play, for instance, Fallout 4, in VR, on an Oculus Quest. So I think they're going to sell a ton of these new devices. The second technology that they have announced, still in beta and still will be in beta when it is offered to the consumer, is hand recognition. And I'm not talking about recognizing just the movements of your hands while using the controller. No, the Oculus Quest has cameras that can see the space around the goggles. And they have been able, even though the Quest has a very modest uh, processor, they have been able to develop hand recognition where they can track the fingers. So you don't need any controller whatsoever anymore in the future. This is science fiction stuff. And according to the people that were able to test that uh, software, it's still in very early stages, they said it's a game changer. It it the, the fact of not having anything in your hands makes the immersion a hundred times greater than when you're using controllers. And of course, it will also lower the threshold for the usage of these virtual reality systems. Imagine that in a couple of years from now, you can just put on a very lightweight headset with very, very wide view uh, field of view, great resolution, powered by an internal process processor, and no other devices, just your hands. And you can click on things. They're probably also going to bring AR into the Oculus uh, realm. They've talked about it. They have not specified when they will do this, but they are certainly working on it. So that means that you can either be in a completely virtual environment or it will use those cameras to compose 
an image that will contain both the reality around you and uh, added information or added graphics or enhanced graphics um, on top as a top as a layer on top of the 3D uh, environment that you're in. Unbelievable. <laughs> I'm super excited. I never really thought that they would do this. And for me, it's been definitely a, a reason to put this uh, on my list. And if I, if I get a quest, I'll sell my Oculus Go. Make some money back <laughs> through that. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a great time to be alive. <laughs> and with that, I've come to the end of this episode. I made it. I'm really doing better than a couple of days ago. I... I, I made it without too much pain. So thank you so much for listening. Thanks for your patience. It will still take a couple of weeks for me to get better. But uh, in the meantime, you can look forward to seeing me a little bit more in the podcasting realm. Thanks to my podcast supporters over at patreon.com slash fatheroderick. And I will see you next week. Take care and God bless.